0: Welcome to another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. Today with me is Tyler. Tyler, tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, I am a uh, filmmaker in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, I use the term filmmaker loosely, although I have a few films under my belt that I'm very proud of. So, um, And I don't know much about uh, the newest equipment, so this is going to be kind of fun.
0: Well, uh, let's go ahead and dive right into the news then. Um, I've got the uh, first up on the list is the com report that Canon Senior Managing Director of Image Communications Business has confirmed the existence of a high megapixel DSLR prototype. Along with that, Canon is expressed the desire to possibly launch a brand new line of EF lenses with uh, the high pixel quality of 50 megapixel in mind. What do you think about going to 50 megapixel, Tyler?
1: Um, that well. that's now that's, so that's going to make things like low light situations
0: will be improved greatly, correct? No, uh, that'll actually make it worse. Uh, The more pixels that they squeeze onto a sensor, the less, uh, light is allowed to get into each one of those pixels. The smaller the, the number, the more light is allowed to get into the pixels.
1: All right. Um, then why the hell would they do that?
0: Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, Right now, you have the Nikon D800 and D810, and both of those are sporting 46-megapixel sensors. Uh, Nikon's lenses already keep up with that, so if you're looking for a huge megapixel sensor, you could probably just swing over to the Nikon camp and be good to go. I'm guessing they're kind of aiming this towards uh, production photography for people who are doing like magazine covers and stills that need to be blown up to high res or maybe if they do like multiple products simultaneously and take a picture of each one of them in a group and then crop them as they go to save time
1: i totally understand now okay yeah um they can do whatever the hell they want Uh, (laughs) but i it's not something that i would be terribly interested in i mean that's that's bottom line if for me personally it's not something i'd be totally into well what about
0: uh, investing in lenses if they came out with a brand new set of uh ef lenses that were supposed to be higher quality would you swing for those um
1: i would if i had the cash that's nine times out of ten it comes down to cash for me so um if i have the money to to spend on something that um that Cool. then yeah but currently i can barely
0: buy bread so <laughs> that's not good man no it's terrible and on so, a, a frugal filmmaker aspect uh what do you have in your bag right now um i
1: have a bunch of old old nikon glass uh or nikon or i don't know nikon
0: you got it right um, nikon
1: i've got a 50 a 50 millimeter uh cannon like the little plastic one the 1.8 um, and then I've got a, a 24 and a 28 that are two point eights from Nikon that I just adapt. And then, and those are pretty much all I use, just those three lenses. Cause again, it's, I can't buy bread. So why would I buy, why would I buy glass?
0: <laughs> Do you have any zooms in your collection or is, um,
1: I have, I have like a, no, not really. Not really. <laughs> I, I have a bunch of really old, really crappy stuff that I've like um, an old like Minolta and stuff like that that I've adapted but never ever used because it's just it's just not it's not that good.
0: Wow. So you're making me kind yeah, of sad I'm, here, man.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, I, I usually zoom with my feet. <laughs> so <laughs> I am I'm definitely the frugal, the frugal filmmaker. If I can get away with if I can get away with doing it for next enough and I will.
0: Well, uh, next up on the uh, news list here, and an expense for future filmmakers, uh, announced at NAB 2014, a Thomas Shogun 4K HDMI SDI recorder is finally starting to hit the streets. Looks like the retail price is going to be about 1995, and the Shogun was considered an excellent upgrade for the GH4 and Sony A7S users who are looking to record 4K externally. Um, this is almost as expensive as the A7S, and. Several th- or several hundred dollars more than the GH4. Uh, do you really think it's worth uh, worth it for most filmmakers, especially on the lower budget, to spend two grand on a monitor slash field recorder?
1: Um, not well. i mean, if, again. If if you have the cash, it's totally worth it. And I was just watching a video by some like German guy uh, where he's like going through all the menus and stuff of the of the Shogun, and it actually looks like it. it i was really impressed with, he was showing footage from the a 7s and I was really, really blown away with it. And um, like, if I had, if I had the money, I would totally, again, it's, it's all about money. So I, I could under, I, my understanding was that the Sony doesn't natively shoot or doesn't shoot in camera. That's um, correct. 4k. So if you are really, really digging the, Crap out of that Sony, and you want that option. I mean, like, yeah, it's two two thousand dollars, but I mean, like, some people are willing to shell that out for that option. And I, I, I mean, like, I guess the market kind of dictates what you can price price stuff at. And you know, who knows? Maybe in six months, it's something way cooler and way better is going to come along and knock that
0: one down a notch. Well, what about the data needs? Do you think you could handle uh, five hours of recording uh, on a two terabyte hard drive? I mean, that's a pretty substantial amount of data.
1: That's, yeah, that's, I mean, I couldn't currently, I couldn't handle even editing something like that with my system. So it's, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be for me, but it's, it's still kind of cool. I mean, like all this stuff is really cool.
0: Yeah, getting so, to play with the gadgets is is just about as much fun as owning it. But uh, sometimes you don't have the money to own it, but playing with it is still cool.
1: Yeah, it'd be fun to play with that kind of stuff. It'd be it'd be way more fun than I I'd probably explode from the amount of fun <laughs> that I'd have.
0: But um, you know, man, you're not that far from uh, where I'm at. You could always come by the studio and mess around with stuff for a weekend.
1: I know we've talked about this before. Having a having a dj and tyler weekend and and i i will do it eventually i actually drove up to colorado a couple of months ago and realized how easy of a drive it actually was i wasn't expecting it i was expecting it to be a lot more difficult than it was so it's definitely something on my on my list of things to do hopefully this spring maybe if if you if you don't mind having me
0: Oh, yeah, just let me know. All right, moving on down the list here. 4 um, kshooternet has posted a video from Vimeo user Gallo Calcia demonstrating the use of Adobe Camera Raw with the GH4's 4K video. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the DNG files probably have used the Adobe Camera Raw program in the past. Uh, that was what was used to process a lot of the raw footage from the 5D Mark III hacks uh, over the past year or so. Did you watch this video, Tyler? I um, The link that you sent me was not the pro- proper link, but
1: I had, se- I'd seen the video like earlier that week. So I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I, sh- all my photos that I shoot are, which is very rare, but I do a DNG. So I will go through and actually tweak them in the, in what I have. I have uh, CS six and I'll go through and tweak them in there. Um, so, I mean, that'd be really cool to be able to do that with actual,
0: video you know now what about the processing time on this uh, it looks like uh using the uh, adobe camera Raw is, is pretty labor intensive for time uh you have to click through a bunch of stuff and you really have to go through some menus and then you're kind of doing that for every single clip um
1: well that's that's one of those things that it's like uh, for for me again it's it's i don't have the i think it's only on CES
0: it's uh, only on WCC. creative
1: yeah creative clouds so <laughs> um it's it's not that big of a deal to me because i don't have it so um but yeah i mean like you know i guess you gotta suffer to you gotta go through hell to get to heaven i guess so <laughs> <clears throat> um so i don't know it's like you know i when we're rendering out stuff for on my computer, it still takes forever, just like for the shortest little thing, so waiting or or taking a lot of time is something that i'm I guess used to,
0: so none of the budget but all of the all of the free time, yeah, yeah, now, what are you running for a system right now
1: uh I don't even know it's the same system that I've been running forever um with the addition of your uh a video card that I got um Upon your, um, your insistence. Um, so it's, I'm pretty much, I can't, I don't even know. It's, it's old. It's like a five-year-old system. Wow. So I, I couldn't even tell you. It's, I'm not, I'm like, it's like a dual core or something like that. You're, it's you're, just you're
0: editing on a dual core?
1: It's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it still hasn't died on me. So again, it's like the choice for dinner or new computer. Wow. (laughs) It's like, well, what do you do? I changed jobs recently and with kind of the promise that I was going to be making all this money. And, um, it actually has not panned out the way that, um, I had hoped. So I had, I have had to learn to be a lot more, um, conservative with my spending and my eating at home and stuff like that. So and wow. with my with my hobbies, I mean, like I've, I used to spend money like a drunken sailor. Uh, <laughs> and back in the day, on, on stuff, yeah, it's like some something really cool would come up, and I'd be like, "Oh, I'll buy that." Well, now it's just like, "Ah, boy, I I got to eat something." So. Wow, man! Yeah, listen to me complain. This I has been like twelve, thirteen minutes of me complaining about being poor.
0: That sucks, man. Well, I don't know what to say. It's like, oh, well, eat something a, and don't don't starve. You know?
1: You no, know, well, I'm pretty fat, so I, I have. There's no hope for me starving, but.
0: All right, moving um, on down the news list here before I get too <laughs> depressed. Uh, Adobe Lightroom 5.7 is now available for download. Uh, the new features include some raw support for some of the new camera releases over this year. Uh, but they've also included an easy utility to to basically import your libraries from Aperture and iPhoto libraries into Lightroom. So that way uh, you're basically in the Lightroom uh, plethora, pantheon, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what do you think about this? Uh, Lightroom is kind of the only photo editing app out there now, isn't it? Uh, w- are you using anything else?
1: I don't really. I mean, like I use the – whenever I pull anything into anything, it's Photoshop. So as far as photos, my sister is probably more, more somebody that you'd like to talk to about uh, Lightroom because she actually uses an older version of it, and she – aside from like her version is so stripped down that she can't do a lot of the cool stuff that you could do now and that's that bugs the hell out of her i know that um so yeah i don't do much photography i'm i'm more of a video guy so
0: well, Lightroom offers up a bunch of really handy utilities if you do end up taking pictures. Uh, the import via DNG files is pretty decent because uh, DNG is a uh, open-source raw format, so you can get to... Your footage from any sort of computer, any program that supports DNG, which most of them do, uh, as opposed to working with like the raw files specifically from a Canon camera or a Nikon camera. Uh, It's also really nice for photo organization because it dates and puts folders together for all of the photos that were taken in a certain time frame or group. So if you go out and shoot a bunch of stuff and then you don't clean off the memory card and you shoot a bunch more stuff, when you load it into Lightroom, it'll actually break it down into folders and then you can assign metadata to that to make it easy to keyword search and editing and everything is pretty painless in Lightroom.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, like, that's really cool, especially for somebody like my sister. She's, um... She's more organized, more organized than me, but I know that I've seen her trying to go through because she does photography, and so I've seen her trying to find stuff, and she always has such a, a hell of a time with it. So definitely something for my sister.
0: Alright, moving on down the line here. uh, This is a little bit more of an affordable item. According to Tech Report, uh, Seiki, the maker of the current line of low price 4K 30 Hertz panels. uh, You've seen them on Amazon, probably on eBay. They hit the $300 mark, I think I've seen them even as low as 250 for the 39-inch version. Uh, these are going to be coming out next year, the first quarter, uh, VA panels instead of TN panels. And they're talking like these will be 60-hertz panels instead of 30-hertz panels. That's the refresh rate for the screens, Tyler. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, you had the, I can see your face here since uh, yeah. I've got the video going on. You okay, kinda, yeah. You I, I, I know. I,
1: I know. I read the article, so
0: yeah so what do you think um is 4k well uh, strictly speaking from a user standpoint as opposed to a budgetary standpoint is it worth <laughs> it to go to a 4k panel um having a larger screen does that help you out in the end
1: um and uh, yeah definitely i mean like if 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 you can if it can be applied to whatever you need to apply it to it's always like bigger is always better bigger is always better so um that's well, not necessarily. Said. Yeah, that's what she said. Not necessarily, um, but um, it's definitely like it's 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 in your te- the way I understood it was. Um, a lot of people are are using them as monitors instead of televisions because they're intended to be a television, but can be a monitor. Correct.
0: Now that's pretty much how the original batch was designed, uh, and they came out early on in the um, first part of 2014. So. Back then, the um, chips that controlled uh, the screen refresh rate uh, weren't up to snuff to handle 60 hertz. And the Mm -hmm. only panels at that time that were able to handle 60 hertz at 4K were using two of those chips in parallel, and they were doing this weird, um, uh, basically, it made it look like there were two monitors on the screen in order to achieve 60 hertz 4K. Uh, These new ones will be 60 hertz natively, and they'll still be 4K panels. Where I'm really excited is I have a 28-inch 4K panel at my editing bay. And it's not bad, but 28 inches at 4K resolution, your DPI is is so so small for each pixel that... I have trouble actually reading stuff if it doesn't go into you know 150% mode. So if you have a text box pop-up or something like that, you can't actually read what's going on because it's just so tiny. I'm actually hoping that when these, say, key panels come out, that they'll be jumping up to uh, 40 inches or 42 inches so that I can get 4K in a 42-inch panel so that the uh, resolution of the screen is somewhere in the range of the current line of uh, 1080p monitors out there. I don't know if that makes sense or not.
1: Yeah, it makes it makes sense, and I, I think you had said something about that. I read something that you'd said basically the same exact thing, where you you have a hard time even seeing any kind of text and stuff. So, um, um oh, go ahead. Well, I was. What's the question again?
0: <laughs> no, I, I guess the question is, uh, w- would this be so Well, besides being something you'd be interested in, uh, would you be okay with a forty-inch panel on your desk?
1: Um, no, actually, personally, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, like, it'd be cool, but I don't have enough space for that. Um, but it would be really cool. <laughs> it'd be really cool. Like, it'd be stupid cool. So, <laughs> uh, But, yeah, I mean, like, if somebody has the room for it, fuck, I'd jump all over it like a banshee.
0: Well, what about uh, dual uh, monitors? Have you tried any of that?
1: I'm doing dual monitors cur- currently. And, I mean, like, it's I've got so much junk stuffed onto my desk already and i'm only in this little i've only got like a little what like six six foot by eight foot area that i that i have all my editing stuff in so i mean like to to expand any further i mean like maybe just going to one 40 inch monitor would be cool but i kind of like having the two i like being able to and i guess i mean like you can, it's so huge you could split it up any way you wanted to too.
0: So, well, with your workflow, are um, what are you doing with your second panel when you're editing? Are you just keeping your uh, preview window on there, or or what are you I'm doing? Keep,
1: I'm keeping all my tools and all that stuff over to my left, and then I'm watching the footage straight up in front of me on the big on the whatever this is the twenty eight or or the thirty something. So.
0: Ah Okay, well,
1: (laughs) I'm I'm failing miserably at this. Oh, no problem,
0: man. Uh, The issue I run into on those is actually that um, the bezel, I find it kind of obnoxious. Um, The 4k panels, what's really nice is you can actually have a full one to one 1080p window in the corner and still have room for your timeline, your effects, and all your controls. So Mm. with that much resolution, you don't actually have to scale down your 1080p window. So it's like having a 1080p monitor up in the corner of your screen and then still having all that real estate without having to, like, turn your head away from all your controls or your timeline or anything.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, like, it'd have to be one of those things where I'd have to, you know, I'd have to, if I was to bite the bullet and say, yeah, I'm going to buy one, I'd have to, it'd take me months to get used to it. So, but I'm sure I, you know, I, I can adapt. So it'd be one of those things that, yeah, if I had the, if I had the money and if I had the, the well, I, I obviously have the space if I just take away my two monitors now.
0: So now what about it, uh, the 12 or the 21 by nine monitors that are starting to become popular where they're like 3,440 by, uh, 1440. They're extremely long, but they're like cinema, uh, 4k basically. Would you be would, like, would you would want a, a wider monitor or is the sixteen nine nine ratio that we have right now? Uh, kosher.
1: Um, it's koshers Christmas um, <laughs> <clears throat> I, I'm totally cool with uh, the 169 um, I, I uh, yeah the the what was he what was he uh, 21 by 9 tw- 21 by nine it looks cool and it definitely looks cool you know like uh, like on a screen like a, like a movie looks great in that kind of aspect ratio but I'm totally cool with with The way it is now. I mean, like, if if it turns out, like, in two years that you can't get a 16 by 9 anymore because they've been totally phased out, well, then, you know, so be it.
0: Yeah. I think the 21 by 9 is fairly close to anamorphic, if I'm not mistaken. And I think anamorphic's like. (laughs) two to one isn't it
1: uh i was just watching a video about animal because i had no clue what i like was trying to learn as much stuff as i could this week so it's just like overloaded myself and i was watching it was it's like it's like one one by three and or it's one i can't remember how it works it squeezes the picture i know that much and you have to stretch it back out and i think it was one but i can't remember I can't uh, run no it problem.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, it's like, it's two and some change to one usually, I believe is, is what the ratio is for anamorphic. So if you had nine by 21, <clears throat> you're probably sitting pretty close, if not uh, in your anamorphic size and shape. So that's, you know, that's really wide, I guess it gives you a really long timeline. And you could do still do um several uh 1080p windows across that you know and and Mm -hmm. not run out of space i'm not really sure i kind of look at it as it would be sweet for gaming but maybe not so much for uh, editing and stuff like that you know because you're really that long of a monitor you're almost gonna have to turn your head to look at one section and then the other section
1: yeah well yeah i mean like it would be really It'd be kind of stupid long, but like, I just, I want to ask you a question. Do you, have you ever shot anything anamorphically?
0: Uh, no, not like, really. I I used to shoot a little bit of anamorphic when I had an HV20, uh, back in, I don't know, probably 2004, 2005, but that was like... The the reason to do that was the HV20 was one of the first DV cameras that shot HD, and this is in the transition period between standard definition and HD. And to accomplish that, it didn't actually shoot uh, 1080p. It shot um, 1920 by like 720, so it was it was basically almost anamorphic. It was widescreen um, when you when you uh, ended up exporting your footage in HD and we messed around with it for a while, but having black bars on the tops and the bottoms of footage and then the issues with trying to put something like that out um, were not advantageous to our work. So we ended up just going with standard definition for that round and moving on to full HD cameras after that.
1: Yeah. Cause yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I, did a little bit of research not really back in like the in like 90 or 209 to 2010 when i bought my first camera see here's here's my problem is i'm gonna go on a bit of a rant but my problem is i got into video literally like the same month or two that the first dslr was shooting hd video and i was so out of the loop and didn't understand what was going on that i went out and got a mini dv camera panasonic um dvx
0: 100 that's not a bad and camera it, that was pretty was a, popular back in the day
1: it was a great camera but i was like seriously i bought it like i bought it for way more than i should have and like literally when they were people were starting to put them up on the shelves and be like okay i'm moving on to the dslrs and had i done the research and had i known I thought I, I honestly honestly and this is how I've always thought that I'm the only one in the world that's doing this or I'm the only person in Lincoln Nebraska that's making a movie and of course you know I'm not that original so I find out later on that everybody else is doing it too and they're doing it HD on uh, DSLRs. so I'm just like I'm always like four steps behind what everyone else is doing <laughs> so,
0: no problem man uh, yeah. yeah well you gotta you know you gotta
1: get you got to get to where you're going somehow. So.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm guessing you sold it off and, and ended up moving to a DSLR after that.
1: Oh oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I've moved on. Uh, I have a Canon 60D. I have a pair of Canon 60Ds. It's actually one of them's mine. And one of them's the guy that I film with. So, and I like it, you know, I, I'm totally content with the, the, uh, I'm totally content with a like 60D. I'd love to get something else, but I'd also love to get more glass because I think that would help a lot. But
0: yeah, I'd say focus on lenses first and then yeah. you know, pick up uh, more cameras second. Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, grumbling on the internet about how oh man, DSLRs don't quite put out the amount of image resolution that you're expecting and uh, you know, if you pixel peep they're kind of mushy and and what have you, but honestly, if it looks good and you like it, and don't worry about how mm-hmm. mushy or what's behind it or how the sensor is transcoding stuff or whatever. I mean, yeah. just use what you have and continue on, you know?
1: Exactly. Uh, if you get caught in that and, and that's like the, the brilliance of this little podcast is that, that, you know, it's like, it's, it, it helps me kind of understand the new stuff, but it also helps me, um, realize that you can be happy with what you have and still do good things with what you have already.
0: Well, and there's, there's photographers and filmmakers out there that are still working on, uh, older Canon T two Is and getting really good stuff out of it. And the T two, I, you can go pick those up used now for, they're like a couple hundred bucks or less. And they've dropped down to where, you know, they, you practically give them away and the EOS M that's the same way. And that you can adapt all kinds of lenses too and the dsm bodies are they're like 150 bucks at most you know that's really cheap for a even a crop sensor dslr that you can go out and shoot up to 1600 iso and be out uh doing film work and and doing whatever you want and and getting footage without having to invest in like a thousand dollar camera that i'm like i'm dating myself a little bit but you go back to even the early 2000s and even a A camera for your house or your friends or whatever you're you're talking a thousand dollars for basically a a Sony handycam or a Panasonic camera, and then if you wanted anything more advanced with any kind of inputs or anything, you immediately jump from that price up to the two to three thousand dollar range for say like the the Canon GH two. Or the old XL2 back in the day, and those are super expensive prices for uh, individuals. But back then, no one batted an eye. Those were supposed to be affordable compared to film. Now mm-hmm. we're all on these cameras where they're a couple hundred bucks or three or four hundred dollars, and we're complaining about how expensive they are. You know?
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy. I didn't mean to take us into this little rant, but oh um, no problem, man. Uh, that it was. It's. That's totally I just totally feel like, yeah, it's like if you've got if you've got if you've got the stuff to do it, don't worry about other people's stuff. You know, don't worry about your other people's backyards when you've got your own, you know.
0: Well, and a lot of it's more about uh, using your kit uh, more as opposed to longing for more equipment and, and not using it. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people end up so fixated on the next camera that they're not out shooting all the time. And when they're not out shooting all the time, they're not getting better at their craft. And if they're not getting better at their craft, the next camera in the lineup isn't going to make them any better. It's just going to be another tool that gets neglected until they wait for the even better thing to come out next.
1: Exactly. Exactly exactly
0: all right moving on to the discussion topics we've kind of flown through these pretty fast uh there's rumors this year in 2015 nab show that uh we may see a gh5 uh supposedly the gh5 would be able to handle 8k footage and 60 frames per second at 4k what do you think about that man
1: um well well i'm just i'm trying to read now what what you said about it um Yeah, because you're saying is the are the prices start they're starting to show.
0: Yeah, on eBay you're, <laughs> you're starting to see them actually drop down to um, the low one thousand dollar range, used. And on Amazon and and B and H right now, they've been having sales where they're up for uh, three ninety nine or thirteen ninety nine, which mm-hmm. is they retail at seventeen hundred. And for a while, they were selling above that because they were out of stock everywhere. So,
1: well. My question to you is when there's rumors for 2015 or 2014 or 2016 NAB, NAB, NAB or whatever, um, how often do those rumors actually pan out?
0: Uh, You know, it's hit or miss. Uh, A lot of times the rumor sites will rate these with a rumor rating. Um, I believe this was a likelihood of 2, which is right in the middle, 50-50. The thing about going to 8K, if you look at the uh, top of the show notes there, there's a little chart that says... Uh, how many megapixels you would need in the sensor to go to 8K, that would be a 33-megapixel sensor. Uh 8K, that means right now the GH4 is a 16-megapixel sensor, and you're going at about half to get to 4K. That's why at 4K footage, the uh, crop on the GH4 is a 2.3 instead of a 2.0 for what you would normally expect from a Micro Four Thirds. Well, if you go to 33 megapixels to get to 8K, then you've effectively... Reduce the uh, size of all the pixels on the sensor by what half, something like that. Actually, it works yeah. out to a smaller than half because, or a, a bigger reduction than half because you're taking square pixels and reducing them. So it's more like dropping them down to a quarter of the size when you have to have that much um, a resolution on that tiny of a sensor. So if they do that, the low light's gonna go into the toilet on the GH4. And right now, it's not bad. It's good to to uh, 1600 without too much of an issue and you can even push a little bit if you don't mind uh in your footage up to uh, uh 3200 iso without having a heart attack but going to a 33 megapixel sensor for 8k that's pushing it pretty hard and you're yeah. going to end up with a lot of um, a, a lot of low light issues and graininess and everything else so i don't know that the 8k is is on the horizon we are starting to see the um, h.265 codec coming out and that does have standard support for uh, 8k as well as 4k at 60 frames per second but the h.265 is kind of like what H.264 was about six years ago. No one had a computer that was fast enough when it first was starting to hit the market to handle the footage in its native codex, so then they were transcoding and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, with H.265, uh, early tests are... It's overwhelming a quad-core uh, latest generation 4790 Intel i7 CPU and so that means you'd have to go into like a six-core chip or a dual processor motherboard to start handling that at native speeds, unless you want to transcode it to something else. So even if we do see four uh, K at sixty frames per second, I'm guessing this will be a, a TikTok upgrade where Panasonic doesn't give us uh, doesn't give us a lot of stuff. It's just something that's incremental and a little bit nicer than the previous one. And if you look at the GH1 to GH2, that wasn't very dramatic. And then the GH, well, I guess I'm saying that incorrectly. GH1 to GH2 was pretty dramatic. GH2 to GH3 was like they fixed a bunch of stuff that was wrong with the GH2 and made it a little bit better in low light. And then GH3 to GH4 was a major change. So I'm guessing the 5 will be incremental upgrades to what the GH4 had to offer. And if they come out with it, you know, right now at NAB, that's very soon for uh, a brand new camera to be coming out in that lineup. It's only given the GH4 basically one year of being on the market before they've, uh, you know, announced a replacement for it.
1: Yeah. And well, you also got to, you also have to take into consideration that the the GH4 it's, it's been around for a little bit of time and people, every everywhere I look, people are get, are still like going bonkers for them. Like, Everywhere I look, I've got tons of friends that like they're posting pictures with their new GH4. And it's just like, so I mean, like making some slight changes to the GH4 for the next round would be probably, I don't know. I don't even know. I have no idea what these people are thinking. <laughs> like, they're Just they make absolutely no sense to me. So,
0: <clears throat> well, I think uh, Panasonic is kind of ahead of the curve compared to uh, most of the other camera manufacturers right now, because they're offering internal 4k recording in their camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that even like I own the Sony a seven S and it doesn't do internal 4k recording. So that's frustrating. You know, y- You buy a camera that's $2,300 and you would like it to record what it's able to record as opposed to having to add another uh, $2,000 add-on. And if even if it's a minor upgrade, maybe the GH4 to GH5 would be for the people that already own a GH4. And wouldn't mind a second one, but now they're going to go spring for the slightly better GH5 and just work with those two cameras for another year. Or, you know, it might be the opportunity to swoop in and go buy some used GH4s for... 800 or 900 dollars when the price starts to fall through the floor and then you have a couple of them and i guess it just depends like it's back to that chasing the next big thing do you need the next awesome camera is is it that much more than what you already have it going to the gh5 if it does offer this uh crazy 8k footage would that really be necessary i, I don't know uh, i'm say i'm thinking not i'm i've been pretty happy with the gh4 i've been shooting on that for a while and the a7s and i still like my 5d mark iii just fine i did sell one of my 5d mark iii's off but um otherwise like i don't plan on getting rid of my mark iii anytime in the near term and i'll probably hold on to it for another couple years and shoot with it on a regular basis
1: yeah i mean
0: I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> uh, no problem. Uh, moving on to the next discussion topic here. Um, I picked up a new editing laptop. It is the MSI GS60. This thing is an editing beast. It is a 4K 15-inch panel with a GTX 970 GPU, 16 gigs RAM, and it comes with a one terabyte spinning drive as well as a 128 meg SSD for your applications. Um, I just posted a video uh, last week on the upgrade of that, and uh, basically you ripped the entire thing apart. I dove into my almost $2,000 laptop and risked a life and limb to upgrade the M.2 slot. You do have to remove the entire motherboard from the frame of the laptop in order to get to the M.2 slot, but... If you buy the 3K version of this laptop, you save about three or $400, and that gives you some budget to add an SSD for about the same price as the 4K. Um, if you'll see in the notes there, it says 48 hertz. One of the gotchas about this laptop is that the 4K panel on here is locked in at 48 hertz uh, Because of the technology they're using in the panel, uh, it's not capable of going any higher frame rates. So for editing, that's completely fine, but for gaming i can see a lot of people getting upset because the gtx 970m is a very powerful gpu and you're going to run out of frame rate capacity on the screen before you use up the total value that the uh, 97m provides so I don't know. I guess as a gamer, I wouldn't buy this. But as an editor, it's a pretty sweet laptop for a four-pound device that can handle 4K and uh, also gives you uh, plenty of storage space. What do you think, man? Um,
1: question, are you doing all of your editing on that? or
0: No, I, I have an editing bay for normal use. Um, my, my editing bay has a Titan GPU with 32 gigs of RAM and i7 processor. I believe I'm running the 4770 instead of the 4790, and then uh, it's got a number of SSDs in it to handle um, scratch disk and everything else. Mm -hmm. This one is more like if I want to throw a bunch of stuff at my laptop, I'm going to do it with this as opposed to with... um, you know, carrying a desktop around or something like that. And yeah. a lot of times I end up traveling a lot and having to edit at location. And in those circumstances, having something like this that can handle it is is pretty nice. My uh, old LED editing laptop actually shot flames out the side of it. Um, <coughs> I was uh, editing in, in Eureka, California, and uh, the weather there is foggy. I didn't realize that fog with uh, salt in it is conductive. <clears throat> and the fog got into my laptop and uh, blew out the graphics card and shot flames out the side of the unit. So,
1: yeah, I remember reading that. Um, how old was that machine? Uh,
0: that was uh, well, in, as far as editing laptops go, it's pretty old. It was about two and a half, three years old. But it, I've had, I haven't had it for that long. Um, I'm hoping with the specs for this guy, it'll last me another three, or, three to four years. Uh, my old laptop, it was about the same price when I picked it up uh, new that many years ago. Uh, it ran, I think it was $1,800 fully decked out. So, wow. But the weight difference and the amount of power under the hood is completely uh, different. This guy weighs about four pounds, and uh, it's really slim compared to my old one, which weighed 13 pounds and had one of those giant brick batteries. The, the ones that are the size of your fist, um, it was a heavy monster trucker and, you know, I probably am lucky. I don't have scoliosis from carrying that thing around. So, yeah,
1: well, it's like, it's not, it's no different than carrying around like a, a Les Paul yeah, or, or a, or a, uh, Fender jazz bass or something like that. So, I mean, like, you, yeah, you're going to bogart yourself either
0: way. Yeah. Um, Nope, go ahead.
1: As far as, as far as I you know, it's like, I, it's, I mean, like I, I, read, I read your, I didn't, I didn't watch your uh, update or read your update about what, about adding the, adding to it. Um, but I, it's just one of those things where it's like I, I try to look at your website as often as I can. And it seems like you've been gone for a while because you were out of state or whatever. And so I try to get caught up on it and it's just like, Again, it's it's really cool that to see the new stuff that's that's out there, but it's not. It's one of those you just don't. I'm not going to chase after all this new stuff until I can afford it. I guess.
0: No, oh, yeah, um, definitely. Some of the stuff is uh, pretty expensive. If I didn't have things that were paying for the laptop upgrade, I definitely wouldn't be doing <laughs> the laptop upgrade. <clears throat> yeah. All right, uh, moving on down the discussion topic here, um, Verivon GH4 cage. This is a little less pricey. Uh, this comes in about 220 bucks, and it's a decent-sized uh, single-piece of uh, machined aluminum frame for the GH4. It's basically just a jacket around the GH4 to add a lot of quarter-twenty mounts for monitors, audio gear, and what have you. But the nice thing is it comes with a, a cage handle, and you can mount your audio adapter to that if you've messed around with the gh4 it's a pretty small camera especially compared to your 60d or even um the uh t2i it's smaller than the t2i so it's a pretty tiny camera and adding a little bit of bulk to it makes it a little bit easier to handle uh do you use a cage on your rigs tyler
1: um no actually i don't um i usually what well, if if i go handheld it's pretty rare i usually strap it down to something um I've thought about getting a cage, but I'm also one of those guys. I'm a a DIY guy who, if I find like somebody's design online that I think looks cool or looks like it would actually work and not be a flimsy piece of junk, I would, I'm more apt to spend the $50 and try and build one than I am to spend $250. So um, it's definitely something I have thought about buying, but it's, you know, it's just, If I can do it myself, I I like to, I like the challenge of trying to do something myself. So I I saw how it had the, yours had the, I'm I'm trying to remember what it's, the GH cage had the little strap for your hand.
0: Yeah, they um, and
1: just seeing that picture, I laughed out loud because I think that that's. I mean, like maybe it sounds like a good idea or looks like a good idea, but I just can't imagine it being very helpful. Uh,
0: yeah, that and was one it, of the it, first it, things I took off. I was like, I looked at it and I'm like, I could see, you know, that's a selling point. Oh yeah, it's never going to come off my hand. But <laughs> in reality, you're like, man, this comfort or this isn't very comfortable, and then it's pushing up against the cage, and then you're trying to get to connectors and everything else and you have this handle flopping around on the side of your your uh, camera I do use one of those hand grips on my camera for photography which is my uh, Canon 60 so when I'm running around just uh, taking pictures and stills I use the hand grip on that because it's comfortable and the camera really isn't leaving your hand but when you are doing video work uh, you know generally a handle like that isn't really very productive unless I don't know. You're going to be doing some kind of stabilization in post, and you only shoot handheld, and you're going for some kind of a crazy new wave look that uh, is conducive to that sort of thing.
1: <laughs> um, you had a couple other gripes about that that I thought were like you had to sand sand down.
0: Oh um, yeah, yeah. To, to
1: make to make something fit, and then you also couldn't get um, you couldn't get your audio gear plugged into it, or you couldn't get. Yeah, I can't remember how.
0: The way it ended and, up working out is the they powder coat these um, things and they're made out of machined aluminum. So when they powder coat them, they have to take in consideration how, how many millimeters the powder coating adds to the size of the pieces. Well, when they powder coated it, they added just enough thickness to the handle where it slides in that it wouldn't slide in properly. So I had to take sandpaper down to the back of it and sand off all of the finish so that I could actually get it to slide in properly, which is pretty obnoxious for a brand new item like that. And then the audio jack, like you mentioned, uh, it's close enough to where the audio port is that you're kind of stuck. You need a really small uh, audio jack in order to get into your camera. If you have anything, or it's not the audio jack. I'm sorry. It was, um, shoot, now I don't remember. Maybe it was No, it's not the audio jack because the audio jack is on top, but there's plenty of room there. Uh, there is another jack, though. I, I do not recall which one it is. Now I have to check yeah, my I... own article. <laughs> um, but that jack is is right there next to the uh, HDMI micro HDMI port, and that's rounded out for the monitor, but uh, it should have been squared out so that there's room for the monitor to move and you had room to get to those accessory ports if you needed to use them for something.
1: Yeah, it's that would frustrate the hell out of me. Like how much you, you said $250 and you have to modify it still to even make it usable. So it's just like, you know, it's like the company, the, whoever, Ver, Verivon, Verivon is how you pronounce Veribon, it. Verivon um, needs to, you know, step it up and get their shit together. Apparently, because then, I mean, that would frustrate the hell out of me. When like, I, I did just, get like, the
0: first stock of these um, right when they came out, so now they're available on Amazon as well as b and H. I'm guessing if they're selling on B&H, uh, they've worked out all of the issues. And B&H has a really good return policy. So if there's something wrong with it now, most likely you can send it back, you know.
1: Yeah. Are there other options um, besides that? Uh, there are.
0: That? Uh, there are so basically, there's a line on these. Uh, the expensive, the more expensive ones are made out of a single piece of machined aluminum. Uh, the plus side for that is that the uh, machined aluminum ones, because it's one solid piece, it gives you a really firm and sturdy cage. There are versions of this as low as $89, and they have the similar shape, and uh, they basically cloned this to a T, but instead of having a single piece of machined aluminum, it bolts together on all four corners. So, and they're very tiny bolts. It's not the end of the world as long as you're not putting a lot of weight on it it 'll still protect your camera somewhat, but uh, they 're not as solid in sideways torsion motion so if you 're hanging a lot of heavy equipment off of the side of your g h four like say that two thousand dollar monitor, I would not uh, hang the uh, uh, Thomas Shogun off of the side of one of those ninety dollar cages and expect it to hold up and not you know pop loose and and break so yeah. that 's where the trade off is on a lot of these. Um, there's also some units on eBay right now that aren't as sleek as this. They're basically just kind of a, a box shape, and they're down as low as 75 or $80, but yeah. uh, they're not as ergonomic either. So those are your trade-offs, either less solid and less expensive or more boxy and less ergonomic but then less expensive. Mm-hmm. And there aren't really... As far as I know right now, there aren't very many DIY methods for really adding a lot of stuff to the GH4. You could always go with a a camera bracket. If you get onto uh, uh, Amazon or onto eBay, you can buy the flash brackets uh, for somewhere in the range of like 10 to 20 bucks. And they're not really um, life changers, but they do give you five or six extra mounting points for these smaller cameras. And if you do have to go handheld with, say, like something like your 60D, the L brackets, uh, they have a top plate that goes over the top of the camera, a side plate, and a handle. So it gives you an extra handle to hold on to if you're walking around with your camera and three or four mounting options on the top of the camera as opposed to just using the hot shoe. So those are something to look into. They're less about protecting your camera from getting smashed if you drop it off of a tripod and more about just giving you a lot of connecting points. Yeah. And I have one that I actually bought used uh, many years ago, and I, I haven't seen anything that looks quite like it since, but it's got a weird stub that sticks out of the side that's really nice for holding onto, and the top part is adjustable up and down. So you can move the L bracket that goes over the top of the camera up about seven inches or down about four inches so that it can be right up against the top of the camera or give you a little bit more space it's really nice if you just need to hook up you know a microphone or a couple of wireless packs or something like that to the top of your camera and run around with it it's also um, they sell a handle that doesn't really add any mounting points but if you're shooting on an old um uh, handy cam type camera, uh, or if you're even shooting on a modern one, uh, th- you put that handle on the bottom of it and it kind of gives you that uh, Bullock style. Uh, grip to hold onto the camera while you're filming. Uh, it's just one fist-sized handle underneath of your camera that screws right into the quarter-twenty plate.
1: Yeah, so it's almost like holding a gun.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you have the screen right there, and it is, it's is—it's really the form factor of the old um, uh, 8mm cameras from back in the day, so... It makes it a little bit classier, I guess, to use something like that. I I enjoy it. Um, I, Dead Lantern Productions has a point-and-shoot uh, video camera that we've had for years, and that's always attached to it. And when we're running around shooting behind-the-scenes stuff with that, um, that's what's being used on it.
1: Yeah. But no, so it's just I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to go into this now. Oh, no problem. It's just it's just a handle that goes on the bottom of the Yeah,
0: um, it's just a <laughs> handle camera. and the handle Nothing is else. and that's it. It just it has a thumbscrew <clears> <throat> on the on the base of the handle and you thumbscrew it right into the quarter 20 portion of your camera. So, okay. on the skinny Tube shaped cameras that you got for, you know, from uh, Canon, oh, from yeah, Sony. From like, yeah, oh, yeah, all the point and shoot cam- uh, video cameras that are out there. Uh, you just screw it into the bottom. And it's just one handle that you hold in your hand and you flip out the screen and you hold it in your fist and you have the screen right there and you walk around with it. A lot of those have the strap on the side where you slide your hand in and you're trying to like Mm -hmm. cup it and everything else. And if you use one of those for a long period, your hand actually starts to cramp up as you have your hand like wrapped around it in a C shape, trying to hold onto the camera and push the buttons with your thumb and whatnot. If you have it on that handle, then you just hold the handle and your other hand is free to operate the touch screen or the controls or the buttons or eject the memory card or whatever. It isn't the best way to go if you're looking for camera stabilization, but it's really good for just running around and like holding onto your camera. And the handles, they sell for as low as like $8. So it's not something that you're just going to, you know, break the bank on. If you have a cheap uh, video camera like that, It's a really fun accessory for eight dollars to add to your camera and just make it feel a little bit, a little bit upgraded from what it was originally. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, it's you're making me laugh inside um, because the Zoom uh, H4N comes with a little,
0: uh, yeah, nubbin,
1: like a little microphone. Like it's like the bottom part of microphone that you just quarter quarter twenty and you screw it in. So I mean, like theoretically, if you have Zoom h4n you could just take that little thing and screw it into the bottom of your camera and you've got it and it's it's, you already have it
0: yeah you do um (laughs) that one is a little bit it's not not the same shape um the handles that are eight bucks are actually physically the shape of like a gun handle so it has like the the imprints for your fingers all the way up and down and then it also has a quarter 20 screw on the bottom and they're a lot more solid if you've messed around with your uh, zoom h one or zoom h four ends handle it 's like this flimsy phim- piece of plastic yeah yeah' and it's, <laughs> it's good if you're using that is actually good if you 're using a microphone stand then you want to just put it into a normal microphone cradle, but for holding on to it, it's it 's pretty uncomfortable and it 's not yeah, something you'd want to use regularly. you might be able to like dip it, it was, in something
1: I thought it was funny how we've like segwayed from the cage to. Uh, just a little piece of plastic that screws into the bottom of the camera
0: (laughs) oh man i i have three or four of those in my collection they're they're not uh something i use all the time but they're pretty handy to have on occasion when you just need to like grip onto something and they're very solid um they were actually originally designed for uh binoculars Because a lot of hunters and stuff would like to grip their binoculars from the bottom as opposed to holding them from the side in a C-shape, especially if they had to stand there for a long time looking at animals or trying to find something or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that was their original idea. And then they have a quarter 20 on the bottom, so you could actually uh, mount them to a stand after you're done. So you pull your binoculars off, and you have a quick release on the bottom, and you clip it to a stand, and then you walk away. Uh, and I guess, I don't know a ton about binoculars, but apparently some of them can get into the three or $400 range for the uh, long-distance viewing or for some of the infrared options that are available. So, All right, moving on down the discussion topic <laughs> line. Um, last thing on the discussion topic is the Canon 7D Mark II. Uh, they've issued the upgrade to this and upgrade is a very loose term here. looks like you're getting a 20 megapixel sensor instead of an 18 megapixel sensor. Uh, the 70 Mark II has the same, uh, basically video formats as the five D Mark three, as well as the autofocus system. It does shoot 10 frames per second, JPEG and raw. And also they've added, um, an extra memory card slot as well as GPS. These are all i don't know minor upgrades. what do you think is is that really much of an improvement, or is that more of Canon's continual march forward slowly?
1: Yeah, I would say it's a slow march it's It's the death march, I think, but not really the death march, but um it's just yeah they're just I, I think what they're trying to do here's my take on Canon is what they're trying to do is get you to this point where you're so complacent that you're like nothing. Well, so you're just like, oh, great, another new cannon, and then they're going to just drop some giant ball or bomb, and it's going to be like the most incredible thing on the planet. So, um, I just looked at the specs, the side by side specs that you sent me last night, and if I had the, if I had my druthers, I would have, I probably would buy one just for the shits and giggles, just to just to have one, but um i i don't understand like the for me there's no no need for stuff like gps and wi-fi and stuff like that for me personally so i think a lot of the bells and whistles are maybe cool for some people but i'm you know it's it's just not necessary for me
0: well depending on the implementation on uh Uh, the 7D Mark II, and I haven't used it, if it has something as handy as, say, the GH4 or A7S with their uh, Wi-Fi remote viewing, then it's a little bit sexier to have Wi-Fi. The big... Benefit there is you kind of end up with a wireless monitor system built right into your camera because everybody has a smartphone. You log into the camera and now you have full control over the camera plus you have framing and view of everything the camera sees and it doesn't affect the output of the monitor on the back. That said, uh, Canon's previous Wi-Fi implementations have been pretty shoddy to say the least and I don't know that they're going to do any better with this. My take on it is that Canon is releasing such lackluster video improvements on their DSLRs because they're trying to shepherd uh people from the 5D Mark III and so on up to their cinema EOS line. So that they want to move everybody away from these DSLRs as video tools and into the Canon C100 Mark II and the Canon C300 and the Canon C500. Those are expensive jumps, but if you think about the C100, uh, it's about the cost of two 5D Mark III's, so if you already shot on two 5D Mark III's, maybe Canon could talk you into a C100, and they have, I know a lot of people that have moved the C100, I personally bought one thinking I was going the right direction and ended up selling it because I did not like it at all, but uh, that's another issue altogether.
1: Yeah, I actually remember uh, talking to you or watching a video that you posted about that, the C1C.
0: And I'm pretty this, lucky. I sold yeah, it like, when it was still pretty valuable. So now the C100 prices are down uh, 2000 or $3,000 from where they started originally. So they're getting more affordable, but I don't think they're offering that much more than what, uh, what the DSLRs are offering. Well, I was...
1: Looking into, I was just again. I've been looking at a lot, a lot more stuff than I had been in the past. For like the last week, I've been just looking at all kinds of video stuff on, on, on the internet and just trying to soak up something. And um, I saw somebody was talking about the C one hundred. Am I saying that right? C one hundred. Yeah, it's a C one hundred. Um, and they were saying they their take on it was this is a great camera for somebody who is wanting to shoot like um documentary style like if you're wanting to shoot a narrative film this is probably not the best choice
0: yeah Uh, they are very popular for documentary because it's one lens you get a good zoom lens you grab some audio gear and you pull the camera out install the lens and you're Pretty much shooting right away.
1: Yeah, you can plug the plug the audio gear right into the camera. It's all it's a it's a one and gun kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. That was actually part of my excitement it was going back to a proper camera again. I started with the proper cameras, and then I've kind of been using uh, all kinds of you know random stuff like DSLRs for the last. <coughs> five or six years and i was excited to move back to a real camera but i wasn't really happy with the image we we were getting from the c100 i wasn't happy with the control system uh the memory cards that was really nice because it can record uh the same footage onto both memory cords simultaneously so you have a automatic backup built in when you're rolling but otherwise <sighs> You know, uh, I didn't enjoy the image much more than I did the five D Mark III, and for the price, I didn't find it to be really Mm. worth having. Uh, I believe when I bought it, it was five thousand five hundred dollars god yeah and so you know you buy that and you're like oh (laughs) i just spent a lot of money i should get a lot of value out of this and then you use it for a while and you find that you're leaning back towards your dslrs as your primary shooting tools and then it's like well what the hell am i even doing with this thing you know and i took it on uh five shoots and uh Everybody I worked with uh, on those shoots, no one was happy with it. I wasn't the only one. They didn't like it either. And I know on the internet, I'm kind of a a rare duck on this. Everybody else tells you how great it is, and they're in love with it, and, you know, great low light and all that. But I found it to be grainy as hell in low light. And uh, even at uh, higher ISOs, it was really noisy. And shooting in low light, uh, in candlelight, uh, when I was doing that... uh, uh, Ouija board short that we filmed. Um, I forget what that was called, but anyway, uh, when we were, whispering board, yeah, whispering board. When we were shooting that shoot, the uh, 5D Mark III performed better overall than the uh, C100. Uh, we weren't happy with the C100 footage at all, we we barely used it, you know. So I ended up getting rid of it. I know it looks like an attractive item, and maybe it is, maybe I just got a you know, a bad model. I don't know, but. I don't really have much good to say about the C100 other than the dual memory card slot and the XLR inputs.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I, I was, I was reluctant to move from the Panasonic uh, DVX because I was going to a form that was not like I hadn't used an SLR since high school. And that was using 35 millimeter film, just taking pictures. So, I was really reluctant to go from the video camera with the, you know, with the XLRs and stuff to the DSLR, but I had half of the junk already that I needed to do dual audio and all that stuff. So it it just was like, I was like, do I upgrade and get something that can shoot HD or do I just keep running this camera? That's slowly becoming an antique quickly becoming an antique. So I totally, get, I totally get what you're saying about the you couldn't wait to shoot on a proper camera. Um, I don't know what else I was trying to say other uh, than that. No
0: problem, man. I, <laughs> a lot of people are saying it's quicker, too. Uh, well, it, I, at first, I thought that Um, using something like the GH4, I have the cage on it almost all the time because the cage is so small. Then I have the audio gear mounted to it all the time. It's one plug and a lens And then it's in the exact same boat as the uh, Canon C-100. So it isn't really that much of a difference. And the C-100 is way heavier and bulkier than the uh, GH4. The GH4... Is a tiny little guy. I can carry an entire lens kit and all of the gear I need in a single bag that weighs less than half of one of the bags that I would normally carry a C100 or a five, even a 5D Mark 3 kit in. Um, three Panasonic lenses are lighter than one uh, 50 millimeter f1 two lens on my Canon side of the camp. So. <laughs> Uh, just backpacking around stuff and carrying around stuff, the GH4 has been really nice. And I don't think it's that much slower using a DSLR if you have everything set up in your bag ready to go. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to the last bit on the discussion topic here. This is kind of a sidebar. Um, I uh, I mentioned I own an A7S. Well, uh, basically i found out after doing some research and i'm pretty excited to start messing around with this i've i've tested some of these actually i took my a7s to some pawn shops but uh the sony laea 4 adapter basically takes the e mount and turns it into an a mount um if you remember sony basically bought minolta in maybe 2007 2006 so when they did that they kept all the same minolta mounts And the autofocus system for Minolta at the time was one of the most advanced. So while other cameras were starting to get into autofocus in the early 90s, Minolta was offering it since the late 80s and all the way through the 90s. Uh, Those lenses, it turns out, attach to this new adapter and give you full autofocus support and full focus system control uh, in your Sony A7S natively. Uh, With that extender adapter So for 300 bucks or 400 bucks to buy this adapter After that it opens up a whole bunch of lenses that are pretty affordable Uh, The uh, Minolta glass, the autofocus glass is... In the range for let's say their twenty-eight to seventy f two point eight, that runs about four hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars, uh, compared to the equivalent uh, uh, Zeiss Sony version, which is about fifteen or seventeen hundred dollars. So it's a third of the price. Um, the Sony fifty millimeter f one four a mount is the exact same lens as you got in the Minolta 50 millimeter f1.4 only with a slightly rebranded body so and there's about a hundred dollar price difference between those two so it's starting to make Minolta people are kind of onto this a little bit so the price of Minolta glass has gone up more than it it was a couple years ago but still it's a third to half the price of some of the equivalents and it gives you a lot more options for focal ranges than you could get with uh what's available on just the e-mount i don't know if you've looked into the e-mounts or not but no i haven't the sony a7s <laughs> uh it's i believe i might be getting it backwards but i believe it's the e-mount and the bigger format is the a-mount the e-mount lenses sony only has three or four lenses for the a7s that are native Uh, All the rest of them all require this special adapter. It's because the flange distance to the sensor is so small that it doesn't support any of the other lenses without some kind of a larger adapter. And basically, you're making the A7S uh, the same mount and same thickness as the Canon A99, which is their other full-frame DSLR. (laughs) And silence. And,
1: And silence, yeah, I'm just soaking it in. <clears throat> uh, okay um, Mom, uh, oh, go ahead yeah i go let's move along <laughs> all right
0: all right. last thing on the on the list is uh, pick of the week um basically you know it's some cool thing you saw something you're using something that makes your life easier go ahead and give me your pick of the week man
1: um my pick of the week is a really old one um
0: we i've been doing
1: a podcast with my buddy josh wexelman and um we Started probably back in November and um, we've been recording them and then like in my basement and then uploading them and I'm using the Zoom R24. It's a 24 track recorder basically. With eight inputs? Um, With eight inputs, yeah. It's And it's the most I've used it. I've had it for like two years (laughs) and my whole intention was I was going to just record myself playing music. Um, I still haven't gotten to that, but I'm finally starting to use it to just try and learn it, use, doing the podcast, and it's it's just a ton of fun. I mean, it's just a cool little toy. It's it's a little bit old. Um, I was trying to look into um, something that's similar to it, and the only thing I could find was a, a Tascam recorder that's still used, like, that you could burn discs right off of it, and I think the Zoom is just far more... I don't know if it's more – it's just more simple or, or there's something about it that there's something about the form and the functionality about it that I just – I can understand. So that's my pick of the week even though it's really old.
0: Uh, it's um, still for sale. Uh, the Zoom <clears throat> R24 and R16 was the uh, smaller model. Uh, both of those are still out on the market. I believe there's also an R8. And on top of being a multi, yeah, the R8 is a successor to that. It's still an 8-track recorder, but it has less controls on the surface, and it's a little bit more compact. Um, all of those offer up the ability to be computer interfaces, So, mm-hmm. and you can chain them as well. The cool thing about the R24 is actually that you can chain two of them together and then you can have 16 simultaneous tracks going into your computer. And then as a 24-track recorder, you can record eight tracks simultaneously, uh, put those in, and then record another eight tracks and so on until you get to your 24 count. And it's doing that all on SDXC cards, so your media is pretty affordable to record on. Now, on top of Mm -hmm. that, you got phantom power, and uh, one of the really cool things is it's battery-powered. And since Mm -hmm. it's battery-powered, that means you can run that thing in the field. If you're doing, say, a conference or a big meeting with multi-cams, you can record eight tracks of simultaneous audio with all the cameras going and then sync all that in post and have all those clean tracks to work with and clean up or cut to or what have you yeah
1: it's pretty cool it's pretty cool little toy and i got it for i remember it was when best buy was closing down their original store in lincoln and it was on sale for like uh like 200 and something it was super cheap it was it wasn't a floor model i thought it was originally but it um they had multiple models that and they were just they were just trying to get rid of them and um it was a total win buy, and this was back when I had the money that I could be like, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll dump two hundred and fifty bucks on something I'll never use," and um, finally, I'm starting to use it, and it's it's just a fun little toy to play around
0: with. So, yeah, and those R 24s uh, <laughs> they still sell new and used uh, above three hundred, so they're yeah.
1: So I mean, like I scored when I bought it at Best Buy; it was a total score.
0: Yeah that. That does sound pretty sweet. Well, I'm looking around the studio here, and I'm I'm thinking uh, my pick of the week is actually it's an old one as well. I'm going to go in, in your vein here. Uh, the Manfrotto 503 head is the way old school version of some of their HDV heads that they have now. If you go on eBay and I, I own a couple of these because they still take the 501 PL plates, which are pretty standard across the board for their 701 and their 501 and all that. Um, the 503, you can buy that fluid head, which is Not you know, it's not going to change your world, but it's a very decent fluid head, especially for the eBay prices. You can usually get it uh, with the uh, 190 stand and the head for under 140 bucks. So that gives you a, a really good fluid head at a really affordable price with a set of sticks that are rated for probably 20 to 25 pounds. That is something I still keep in the studio, and I have several of them laying around just because they're so affordable. And you compare that to the, uh, I believe it's the 501 and 503 HDV, which are the new versions, and those are in the three or four hundred dollar range just for the head. And that's not even counting the uh, newer version. I believe it's the B190X uh, legs that w- are sold with that. You can add up to almost six hundred bucks. So go on eBay, and if you're in search of a good fluid head tripod, um, head and tripod combo, uh, go look for some of those old 503s uh, they're really affordable.
1: I'm pretty sure I have a 503. I have two heads that I can't remember which ones they are, but I'm pretty sure one of them is a 503 and I think I bought it because I had seen yours. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So like you had, you had in the earlier days, you had influenced me quite a bit on a lot of my, per- like Lower a lot of the lower end purchases you influenced me on your on your blog site so I'd like to give you a little shout out for that so all oh well, my, thanks man all my yeah it was it's you know it's like I I discovered you on Bay or on YouTube and was just like who is this kid and then it's like I don't know how I figured it out that you were actually from Nebraska it was it was really just like one of those moments where I was like holy shit no way
0: mud so, internet stalking. So
1: like, yeah, well, not well. That's, that sound that makes me sound way creepier than I actually am. Um, it might have been something you had a post about Dead Lantern, and I was like, those guys are in Lincoln, I think. So,
0: yeah, I'm looking on uh, eBay right now, just as a, a quick heads up, and they have a 503 head with a 525 MV. A set of sticks which i believe that one's rated for somewhere in the range of uh of 30 pounds Uh that's a really solid uh set of sticks for that and it comes with a bag and 150 and 14 dollars shipping so that's a pretty sexy price for what is a, a fairly decent fluid head for your camera especially if you're operating with something that's a bit heavier
1: <laughs> less than three days left on it too
0: yeah and zero bids Uh, These come up used all the time. The other one, if you don't, and this is kind of off the topic of recommendations, but uh, the 701 heads are pretty affordable. So are the uh, Sam, I believe it's Sam and, uh, shoot, I don't know. It's a a two-name combo. It's like Sam and uh, Lewis or something like that uh, heads. You can find those on Amazon and on uh, eBay, and they're down in the... Uh, 120 range uh, their weight capacity isn't very good they're only rated for probably six or seven pounds but if you're just using a dslr or something like the gh4 where you don't have a ton of weight to put on your camera or on your tripod then you don't really need something big and bulky that can really handle a lot of weight uh so then those are also really good to look at and If your camera gear is light and you don't need something as beefy as the 503, then that's my other recommendation is to go with the 701 or one of the other tripods that are still escaping me here. I'm actually, like, I'm quickly typing on my keyboard, trying to find it on Amazon, but it's not coming up right away. And one more time to check. Yeah, I'm not seeing it. Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, I will interrupt real quick. There is a 055XDB uh, uh, with a 701 HDB head, and it's at 149, Ooh. and it hasn't been bid on either. So. <laughs>
0: uh, Dave and Sanford was the name I was trying to uh, bring to mind. Uh, Dave and Sanford makes some pretty affordable fluid heads uh, okay. using pretty much the same technology you're seeing in the uh, 503 and some of the older fluid heads they're not quite as modern as some of the newest manfrotto stuff but they're pretty well priced for what you're getting for decent fluid heads that are rated for 6 to 12 pounds Um, i'm looking on amazon right now and you can find the heads for uh, 80 bucks 70 bucks you can find the combo stand or tripod and head for like 150, 160. And that's also pretty decent if you have a really light camera. Cool stuff. All right. Uh, Well, thanks guys for listening to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Thanks, Tyler, for your time. Uh, Where can people find you on the internet?
1: Um, You can find me on Twitter. Um, My handle is at Bootsy Cox, all one one word, B-O-O-T-S-Y-C-O-X. And I'm also on Facebook. Uh, You can look up like Midnight Fright Films on Facebook. That'd be awesome if people would look at that. Um,
0: Thanks for having me. Uh, No problem. Uh, Sorry Sorry, I was such a wealth of non-knowledge ah no problem tyler it was great talking to you man uh yeah up, thanks man up next week on the site on dsl uh, there'll be some more articles on gh4 lenses um i just got the uh 7 to 14 millimeter f4 panasonic uh wide angle lens in as well as playing around with the 45 millimeter f1 8 olympus lens so look forward to those posts coming up and i'll talk to you next time on dslr film noob podcast